0: All right, well, Matthew chapter 1, please, Matthew and chapter number 1. So we looked at this passage a lot on Sunday, actually. It was in Sunday school, and it was in the service. And we'll look at it again tonight, but I want to focus, whereas we looked at the whole chapter the last time, I want to focus just on one verse to go a little bit deeper in our discussion of this this week. So that's what we're going to do. If you remember, in Matthew chapter 1, we looked at the genealogy of Jesus. And we talked about the, that Matthew is set out to demonstrate that Jesus is the king. And he traces through the kingly lineage of, uh, of Joseph and leading to Jesus. And so we had a really good discussion about that, or a good, a good uh, theme through that on Sunday. So I want to move on from that and just really emphasize this statement that the angel says to Joseph in Matthew 1 and verse 21. So, very, very familiar to us. It says in Matthew 1 and verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Bring, she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So I wanted to take a minute and just identify a few things from this verse, and then I want to go to an Old Testament passage and compare these. So I know that this is a very it's it's a very elementary Christian verse, right? This is why Jesus came. In fact, most people that you speak to could give a generic response. Well, why did Jesus come? Whether they're Christians or not, well, he came to, to save us from our sins or save the world from sins. That, that people understand that. And it's really in the first, it's this first statement to Joseph about who this child is. His name will be called Jesus for he shall save his people for their sins. So while it's so familiar, I want to show you some important things. This evening, I want to talk about them. So Jesus... Is the Hebrew name Yeshua? Jesus is the Hebrew name Yeshua. Who knows, what's the other, what are some other modern translations of the name Yeshua or Jesus? Does anybody know? Yep. No, Emmanuel is a different name of, of Jesus, it's more of a title. Um, but what are other names for the Hebrew name Yeshua? Huh? No, nope. we'll get to that in a minute though. That that's it's
1: was what what
0: I'll get to that in a minute. That's a really good that's a good observation. So, um Joshua. So you see the Hebrew, the Hebrew name translated as Joshua. In the Old Testament there's actually a few Jehoshua is an, is another one. It's all Names can get a little confusing in your Bible study because the Bible is translated not so, like, the you have like when you get to some passages of the New Testament, you have like a triple translation. Because what happened was the Greek writers of the New Testament they took a Hebrew name, like Yeshua, and they put it in the Greek language, Yesu. And then now we have it in the English language, Jesus. So that's why names are different sometimes, because they've gone through three or four translations before we actually have them recorded here. It's like you see that with the name Isaiah. You read, you read the English Isaiah in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's spelled differently. You see that a lot. So it's important to understand what the names are, because all Hebrew names had significance. How many of you know what your name means? How many of you know what your name means? Doing a survey here. Does anybody do you know? You know. Okay. So, all right. How many of you have no clue what your name means? You're like, okay. Or you knew at one point, but you've totally forgotten. That's because English names, for the most part, and I don't know how it works in Spanish names, but and in English names, they all come from something and they have a meaning, right? But it's detached from the modern usage of the name. That was not so with ancient names, right? Like, your name was literally the combination of words put together, and it would have made sense to you. So let me give you an example. Let's go back to that verse. Yeah, and she shall bring forth the Son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Now, now James brought up the fact that he said, well, isn't this Yahweh? Well, it's, it's not Yahweh, however, it's a combination of the name Yahweh and salvation. So when you said the name Yeshua, you're combining the two words for Jehovah or Yahweh, the name of God, Almighty God, his name is Jehovah or Yahweh, and you're combining that with the other Hebrew word salvation. And if people would have known that, when you say the name, that the meaning was infused in it when you would would say it. It wasn't like they had to do this study and look it up. Like, well, what does my name mean? It just, it made sense. They put those two words together. So Jesus literally is, Jehovah is salvation, or Yahweh is salvation. Now, a little bit more of Bible study trivia here. The name Jehovah, I have in your notes so the name Jesus equals Yeshua the Hebrew which literally equals Jehovah or Yahweh saves now why do i have why why do we say Jehovah or Yahweh if we're talking about one name does anybody know the answer to that question yes there are multiple names given for god names like Adonai Elohim etc but this name El Shaddai, exactly, right, and there are Elyon, El, Adonai, right. But this name, Jehovah or Yahweh, is the same name. But does anybody know why we would say either Jehovah or Yahweh? All right, Seth. Right. So what Seth said is important, so I'm glad we took time to do this. So I'll explain it. We do not actually know the spelling of this name for God. In the Hebrew Bible, it is just given the consonants. At some point, the, the, the copyists of the scriptures determined that the name, this, uh, this is the ultimate name of God. This is when he reveals himself to Moses, he reveals his name, like his personal name, All those other names are descriptors, like El Elyon or El Shaddai or Adonai. They're descriptive names. But the personal name of God is Jehovah or Yahweh. So you put these consonants together, and we've got to fill in the vowels. So some people believe that it should properly be pronounced Jehovah. Other other people believe that it should be more accurately Yahweh. So you're you're referring to the very same name. Yahweh is probably closer because there was no J sound. It would have been a Y sound. So in your Bible, whenever you're reading in your Old Testament, you're going to see at least, and I don't know how every translation marks it, but in the King James Version, certainly, every time you see the name Lord with all capitalization, and we'll see that, actually, when we get to our passage tonight in Isaiah. When you see the name LORD, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's an English translation of the Hebrew name Yahweh. So when you see all caps LORD, that, that is a specific reference to the name Jehovah or Yahweh. It's just they did, the English translators did not always translate it that way. They just they used LORD. Right, um, I don't know why they didn't use Jehovah or Yahweh. It was just traditional. It probably would have been more helpful to do that. So, but that's a clue where you can where you can find you can see that. Okay. As opposed to when you just see Lord, L O R D, not all caps. What would that be? What is the, What is the difference between when you see Lord and then Lord with all caps? And we're talking about. It gets confusing. Because we're talking about English translations, and, and, and making sure we understand it the way it would have been understood in its original. Go ahead.
1: Uh, this probably
0: wrong, but it's... I love how you started that. This is probably wrong, <laughs> but go ahead. I feel, uh, all like the title lord? Yeah, it's just like saying sir or master, or it's a, it's a this is it's recognizing a person of authority, lord. And in fact, the name Adonai, the is is. That's how that name was used. So that's why you'll see things like the the combination of names, like the Most High God, etc., things like that. So when you come to the name Jesus, though, it's not generic. It's very, very specific that Yahweh, Jehovah, is salvation, and that is the name of Jesus. Okay, hopefully I didn't confuse anyone too much there. Does anybody have any question about that? Okay. So, this is the yes. to Isaiah 43 That's I'm going to go there in just a minute. So I'll walk through that passage and we can talk about it. So, now, but th- so this is a statement here. So, th- so th- I want you to think about this. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Jesus means what? It means Jehovah saves. But then notice the next statement. The next statement is, his name is going to be called Jesus. Why are we calling him Jesus, the angel says. He gives a reason. He, this child is going to be called Jehovah saves because of what? Because, what's it say? Because he is going to save his people from their sins. Well, who is the Savior? Jesus is the Savior, but who, what does his name imply who is the Savior? Yeah, Jehovah. Yahweh is the Savior. So, let me, let me take you to Isaiah 43, and maybe this will make sense. Isaiah 43. We're going to read 13 verses here. Okay. Isaiah 43, we'll start in verse 1, we'll go down through verse 13. But now thus saith... Do you notice the capitalization there? So, who is that? Yeah. Yeah. Jehovah, thus saith Yahweh, Jehovah, that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. So when he says Jacob, he's not referring to the man Jacob, he's referring to Israel as Jacob. Okay, Jacob and Israel is speaking to the nation. He says, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am... Who? Yeah, I am Jehovah. I am Yahweh, your God. That word God, everybody it's the same way as we do today. We, people would refer to all of their false gods as gods. It's the same word. The word God is the word Elohim. So they would have, the pagans would have referred to their gods as God. So he's being very specific here, and he's, he's telling them that I am Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel, thy what? Savior. Who's the Savior of Israel? Well, yes, <laughs> Jehovah. And this, what we're seeing here is very clearly to the, to the Jewish people, Jehovah is, I am your Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia, and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee, and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east, and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. He's speaking of a salvation for the people of, of Israel. Now, why would this be significant? Because this, they're being told that they're going into captivity. They're going to be punished. But there's going to be a future salvation, a future bringing back. And who's going to be the one that saves them? It's Jehovah. He says, I'm going to be your Savior. Um, verse 7, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him. Yea, I have made him. Bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified. Or let them hear and say it is truth. Ye are my witnesses, saith. Who? Jehovah. By the way, this is the passage that guess who uses as their the Jehovah's Witnesses. And they'll make a big deal. If you ever get into a conversation, they'll make a big deal about this. But actually, I don't know if there's a stronger passage that... Well, there is stronger ones, but it's a very strong passage that actually points to the deity of Jesus by the time we're done here. So, Ye my witnesses, saith Jehovah, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. Jehovah, it's all caps again. And beside me there is what? No Savior. I have declared and have saved, I have showed, When there was no strange God among you, therefore ye are my witnesses, saith Jehovah, that I am God. Yea, I I love verse 13, before the day was, I am he. This is why, if you remember in John chapter 8, when Jesus says things like, before Abraham was, I am, he's using the same construction. That's why they were ready to kill him and stone him at that moment. Yea, before the day was, I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work and who shall let it. So you saw, you saw in verse number 11, I, even I am Jehovah, and beside me there is no savior. And then back in Matthew 121, you're going to call his name Jehovah is salvation, Jehovah saves, for he shall save his people from their sins. So, this discussion, you tell me, what is the significance when you compare this announcement of Jesus' mission with what we see in Isaiah 43? What's, what, what are some significant things here? What is the significance? Go ahead, Mike. Well, Isaiah 43, the whole
1: thing is that Jehovah, uh, Yahweh, will save his people. And um, this passage is saying, Jesus will. Jesus
0: is Yahweh. Yeah. Now, would we base an entire doctrine of Christology on this point? No. Because that's not my... This isn't like the case closed, Jesus is, is equal with Yahweh, closed and shut. But it's another piece of the evidence, right? When you compile all of the evidence that we have about Christ for who he is, and you see a statement like this in... In Matthew chapter number 1 seems very clear what's happening all of these Old Testament prophecies about Jehovah being the only savior and is it it's intentional God could have named himself anything when he came right like the name Jesus is significant the angel is very clear you are going to call him Jesus it was chosen intentionally Jehovah is salvation Jehovah saves and so that significance is, is put there right in the, in the naming of Christ and in the mission that he came to fulfill. Any other thoughts, questions, observations on that? Okay. Yes.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: Oh, who is speaking? Is it Jesus or the Father? Well, Jesus is the Word. So, I, I don't know this conclusively, but when, when the Father speaks, I think it's Jesus that is being revealed in the Word of the Father because he is, he is identified as the Word from the very beginning. He was there at creation. It's interesting that creation came about by the Word of God. So I believe that Jesus is the, it's the Father's will and it's Jesus going forth as the word. Does that make sense? No? Well, it's hard to, it's, I'm not saying to you completely understand it, but that's, I, I would say yes to your, to answer your question. Now, if you had read Isaiah 43 as, all of the people did at the time of Christ. All of, the, all of the Jews would have known Isaiah chapter 43. That's why they were waiting for a Savior. They were waiting for a Messiah. But if all you had was Isaiah 43, and it's not all they had, but let's just suppose if all you had was Isaiah 43, what would you be expecting the Savior to do? What's that? Yeah, you would expect the Savior to come and bring your people back, bring you back into national power. Yes? Um, to
1: the blind.
0: Yeah, you, would, you should expect some miracles, right? Something to be done with the blind. That's why Jesus talks about the blind being receiving their sight, etc. So you would expect some miracles and you would expect a political ascendancy of Israel. Now you'd have to. There are other passages though, like Isaiah chapter fifty-three that talk about he was bruised for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so, but what a lot of people weren't expecting is the end of this verse. So she shall bring forth the son; that shall call his name Jesus. Yes, Jehovah saves. Isaiah forty-three is finally being fulfilled. But then he specifies. The angel specifies, and he, for he shall save his people from their sins. From their sins. And the, not everyone had the full understanding of the depth of the need of their salvation. Sometimes when they would think of sins, they would have thought very specifically of their national sins, right? Like, yes, our sins, this is why we went into exile, but Jesus came to save people all people, from all sin. Now that's significant because you and I are not waiting for Isaiah 43 to be fulfilled. That was a prophecy to Israel. But we needed the fulfillment that the angel says that Jesus would save us from our sins. And John 3.16, that he, he loved the world. He saves us from our sins. So I want to just bring it home now in, in the 10 or so minutes we have left on the back of your handout. And I want to think about this, As I spoke about this a little bit on Sunday, and I wanted a little more time to to, to think about it. So let's just have this. What is the nature of sin and the need for salvation? What is the nature of sin and our need for salvation? Now, let me get it in a direction. Sometimes in our modern day, This is a modern phenomenon. It wasn't very typical in past generations. But sometimes we use victim terminology to describe our sinful condition. When we should primarily be using offender terminology. So I'm focusing in here this last part on what does this really mean that he's saving us from our sins. Do we have a good doctrine of sin as Christians? And then as we try to reach our friends and neighbors, how do we communicate what sin actually is? So I'm making this, I'm positing this theory here that sometimes in our culture today, in our Christian culture, we've begun to use victim terminology to describe our sinful condition when we should primarily be using offender terminology. Do you know what I'm talking about and can you think of some examples? First off, you might, you might not be tracking with me, but maybe you are and if so could you think of some examples of and as you hear some maybe you'll start to pick up on it what were you going to say
1: kind on of, you know, in spiritual world here, instead of being like yeah
0: i up. okay right it could be like well the devil influenced me etc anybody else how this has happened and what i mean by this is sometimes people are viewing sin as something that happened against them rather than something that they've personally chose, for instance. And, I've used, and I'm not giving a blanket statement because you'll hear me use some of these terms in my preaching as well, and I, I think there's a place for them. But you see the replacement of the word, in some Christian teaching, you see the replacement of the word sin with the idea of, people will use a word like brokenness, right? We're all broken. Or we all have shortcomings. Right? You've heard this kind of things. Now, at face value, are those incorrect statements?
1: No, there's nothing
0: incorrect about that. But what happens sometimes is in Christian evangelism, we can mistakenly appeal primarily to what are the symptoms of people's sins rather than the root cause of sin. And so what we do is, is we say things like, like um, you know, we are all broken without Christ. Now, sin, it's interesting. One of the Old Testament words for sin literally means broken. But it means broken in the fact that we are like, there's something wrong with us. How do modern people tend to open, understand brokenness? Like if I were to say, oh, I'm just so broken. Like, it's a pretty, What?
1: Yeah, like there's an emotional emptiness
0: here. like some, and, and, not, and I'm not speaking for every person. I'm just saying we need to be careful how we describe things. Because, as I, as I shared on Sunday, I think what happens is this. People feel the consequences of sin in our lives. Are we victims of sin? Yes or no? I'm not trying to set you up here. Are we victims of sin? Yes. We are victims of sin. But are we perpetrators of that sin? we are the we are both the perpetrator and the victim right and so in, in our modern therapeutic world people are are quick to identify as the victim of sin but are hesitant to view themselves as the perpetrator of that sin am i making sense here you understand what i mean it's vitally important because We can, people will embrace the idea of healing. Yes, I'm sinful and I come to Jesus for healing. But ultimately, we will experience healing, but what we need is forgiveness. Right? What we need is a new
1: nature. Sin is our nature. Everything else is a product of our sinful nature. Lying. Stealing, whatever the problem right. is, it's, it's it's who we are. We're
0: born sinners. Okay. Right. So you're correct, but 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 don't don't miss this. Because of that, though, our desperate need is forgiveness. Because my nature has offended, my nature has perpetrated an offense against God. So two things happen at salvation. If I truly truly understand my sin, I come and I receive forgiveness. Because forgiveness is the erasing of debt. And then I receive a new nature that empowers me to live a holy life. But I must be forgiven. There has to be an atonement for my sin. Right? So, I don't disagree. Yes, I need that new nature. But I need the blood of Jesus to atone for my sins and a new nature from the Holy Spirit to now live a new type of life. So this idea of I, that, I have, that I am a sinner, that I have perpetrated an offense against God, and I need forgiveness, is true salvation. And so I think, why do I talk about this? Because I think part of the reason, not exclusively, but part of the reason we see many people make professions of faith and then decide that they're actually not Christians over time, is because very often we're encouraging people to come for the therapeutic benefits of Christianity without recognizing that they need forgiveness for the offense that they've committed against God. Now, old school Christianity understood this. Even false expressions of Christianity, like Catholicism, had a healthy doctrine of sin. People understood understood that they had no standing before God. The problem was the church gave the wrong solution for forgiveness, but they had a a correct doctrine of sinfulness and and of true brokenness. So, In modern evangelical churches, I'm just concerned that we've softened sin to the point where people do not really understand what it is. And so, as we speak to people, now, that doesn't mean we have to yell at people or, you know, you, you think, all right, so that has to be replaced with hellfire and brimstone style preaching. It's not about style, it's about definitions and what are we actually telling people, what words are we using to describe. Now, it's, I'm not saying it's a, a one size fits all. You say people need to be wooed to Christ as well because Christ does. I mean, you see, you, the best thing you can do is look at the example of Jesus with people. Watch how he treated people. Look at how he treated the woman at the well. He accepted her, he embraced her, he loved her, and then he told her that she was a sinner. Like, oh, you've actually had five husbands. Like, it was just as he was just very loving. But very clear, and Christians, in the 21st century, we need to have clarity about who we are, about what we believe, about exactly what Christ did for us, and what it means that He will save people from their sins. We could say some. a lot
1: of part It's just very, there's a lot of messages about grace, and there should be, but but it's out of balance. There's no balance. When was the last time anyone heard a message about hell? I mean, it's found throughout the scriptures, but rarely is there a message where the theme of the message is about hell. It's just, that's... Uh, been a concern in Christianity for a number of years that these particular topics are not being approached because people are offended by them and so then you have words like brokenness which are much easier for people to accept that word Um, doesn't make you feel as bad makes you feel good about yourself oh I'm broken so now I can be fixed so
0: yeah I, I, I agree with that with everything you said, I, I like the word "broken." Is I, am the one that introduced that word "broken." I think it has a place; it can be used because people, But it's. But my whole point is, it's interpretive. It's like, what does that mean to the person? Well "sin" is a very clear word. You have, you have, you have broken the law. Would be the emphasis of sin why you broken. Right. That's that's what's
1: often left out of much preaching today. It's Much of the music today um, doesn't touch the subject.
0: It's just been a concern of mine for a long time. Yeah. Well, I will say, like you'll find, you'll um, you'll find in. A lot of, like, you're right, though, like a lot of pop Christianity. Like Now, there are modern songwriters that are writing a lot about sin. Like, for instance, we sing the song, All I Have is Christ. Right? That song actually has the word hell in it. <laughs> As I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost. Um, so, but, it, but you, he's right. If you listen to a lot of the pop the most popular Caleb-style Christian music, it's very light, and it's very therapeutic.
1: So that's a great line in that hymn.
0: But if people listening to the hymn, the new
1: hymn, have not been preached to about hell, then it doesn't have the same meaning as an old hymn that spoke about hell and, and, and sin... Where you were preached about. So,
0: it's. I, I don't know if I'm making myself clear. But, well, yeah, you but can't have that. You have to have all of it. It's got to be the whole balance of the whole church. And music and teaching all has to be biblically sound. One can't make up for the other. So, and there's always balance and counterbalance that you'll find in Christianity. And, and it's important because I've also observed people that will say, well, nobody talks about these things, and then they become the person where that's all that they talk about. So you need, you need to emphasize what the Scripture emphasizes carefully, thoughtfully, but correctly, right? And so that's the whole point of the, the topic tonight, is for us, you're all here, I'm assuming, because you want to know the Scriptures more deeply, you want to make sure that, that you're, you're anchored to them and to the truth. So, the, um, so this is one example. And so at Christmas, in this passage that we see, we see very clear right from the beginning that he'll save his people from their sins. Then you see John the Baptist when Jesus comes, when G- Jesus is announced by John the Baptist. What does he say? He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sin of the world. So look for that. And don't be, don't be caught up in the uh, in just the in just the um. I keep using that word therapeutic, because that's the generation we we live in, right? Like what about this? What about this message is going to make me feel better today, and understand that what 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 every person needs ultimately is a restored and a reconciled and a right relationship with God. That's only through Jesus Christ. So that's all I've got for you tonight. Anybody have uh, anything else to add or ask? Question.
1: So Jesus, how uh, he identifies himself, I guess there's times, you know, he says that he can obey God, but
0: at the same time he is the son of God. So how, so is your question, how is Jesus God, but the son of God? Right, Does he identifies as the son
1: of God because of his obedience towards God, at the same time he is God because he's saving our cross from our sins.
0: Right, so, so this is, I, I mean, this is really the nature of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The idea of sonship is really important. Because when we think of a son, we think of the... Um, that, that We think more in terms of him being the son being different than the father. But in the Middle Eastern culture, if you were to identify, your identity was tied up in who your father was. Part of, the whole, part of the whole culture. So, you were assumed to have the same occupation as your father. You were assumed to live on the same property as your father. You basically were in the, as the old language would say, in the loins of your father. And you come from that in a sense of lineage. So, for instance, it's a, it's a question of when Jesus refers to himself as the son of God, it's not, just a, it's not a, primarily a parental relationship. He's discussing his nature. Okay, for instance, I am a son of man, right? Jesus referred to himself both as son of man and son of God. As a son of man, I have the nature of a what? Of a man. If I was the son of a rhinoceros, I would, be, I would have the nature of what? Right. So it's, it has to do with the, the nature. So the son of a species, if we will if you will, the offspring of a species has the same nature of that as that species. So if you, have, if you are saying you are the unique, the only begotten son of God, you are saying that you have the same nature as your father. That's why when Jesus... Because we scratch our head, like Jesus says he's the son of God, why did they want to kill him for that? That doesn't seem so offensive to us. But to them they understood it correctly. When he says he's the son of God, he's saying he has the same essence, is the same nature as the father. So with that, um, but then you are right. He does take a subordinate relationship within the Trinity. But that's a, that's a mystery that is, we cannot know. We just have to believe. Yeah. Does that answer that part of the question though?
1: It makes sense why you were preaching on Sunday when you were saying that that's why Jesus was born from the Holy Spirit and not by humans themselves. <clears throat> right. And that's why it originated in the Middle Eastern to resonate with people at that time, and specifically because to also come like, as of the Sunday.
0: Right. Fulfill the prophecies. Yeah. So yeah, you're exactly right. And it's very important to remember when you are studying the Bible, the Bible was was we read, this goes to kind of what we were talking about a few minutes ago, we tend to read the Bible primarily for like, okay, well, how is this speaking to me right now? But that's not the best place to start. When you start reading the Bible, you should start with, okay, what does this mean, and what did it mean to the original people to whom it was written? That's, you understand the actual meaning of the Scripture, and then you make the application, okay, so then how do I apply that to me today? And so there are some scriptures that don't have any application directly to us today, but they help us understand all of all of scripture. So whenever you come to the Bible, start with that. What does it say? What did? How would the original readers have understood this? What does it mean? And then, then, how does it apply to me? But I think Seth was going to say something on the divine nature of Christ. That is subordinate. Right. It's not that complicated. It's not that complicated. Yeah, I I agree with you. You're absolutely right. Like you, you people are not equal in function. Like you go to your job. You have all kinds of subordinates of people that you are equal to in essence. So in the Trinity it's different. Yep.
1: Is Jesus always subordinate to the Father because he doesn't like intercede for us? Like he does. I don't want to use the term prayer on our
0: behalf, but when we talk to God about us. Well, yes. I think it's 1 Corinthians teaches us that the head of Christ is God, referring to the Father. So I do believe that that's an eternal subordination. Yeah. You're going to get me into some danger here with these kind of Trinitarian questions. You can you can very accident, very easily accidentally be a heretic when you're talking about these things. But... I think so, that, that the subordination of the Son to the Father is eternal. So co equal, but the Son subordinate. All right, this is interesting. It's going in, we went in a lot of different directions tonight with this. All right, anything else before we wrap it up? All right. Oh, yes. So, talking about sin, does it help with it? Um, does it tie in the works of the blood? <laughs> well the works of the flesh would be going back to what my dad said actually about your nature it comes from your uh these sins that you commit are not they're, they're they're coming from something and that's why paul refers to it as the works of the flesh because it's the natural human yeah so again i'm not like i'm not trying to make pass a law like these words should never be used. And anytime you hear a preacher say brokenness, you know, they're a liberal compromiser. Like, that's not my point. My point is just that we need to be, um, we need to be careful that we understand this. And we are discerning when we hear people preach and teach. Like, what, and never judge any one teacher or preacher by a single sermon or a single line. But listen to the body of what they teach. And, and that's, that's part of discernment. Okay? All right. Let's, uh, anybody else? We good? All right, let's, let's pray. We'll wrap it up, and then we'll go to our prayer time. Lord, thank you for this evening, and I thank you for the time of Bible study tonight. Thank you for your word, and help us to be a, a biblical people. Help us just to follow the, the word of God for what it says, Lord. It's, a, it's your word. It's a holy word. It does not need our improvements doesn't need our um, softening or hardening or anything, Lord. We just need to proclaim it for what it says. Lord, please bless the next few minutes as we go to prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you in our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.